You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Our guest on this episode is the co-author of the wildly successful Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. He recently co-wrote the book, Ask, The Bridge from Your Dreams to Your Destiny, which is a self-help journey about learning the art and science of asking questions and how it can completely transform your life. With all of the challenges that we face, we oftentimes give up on our dreams. This book, reopens the door to rekindling those dreams and actively pursuing them using a simple tool that everyone has at their disposal. Our guest has soothed millions of souls through the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series and now is aiming to immerse readers in the wondrous potential of their own lives by simply learning to ask. Here for your listening pleasure are the self-made strategies of Mark Victor Hansen. So, Mark, tell us why you decided to write this particular book. And I know you co-authored it with your wife, Crystal, who wasn't able to join us today, but that's totally fine. We've got the man of the hour here with us instead. So why did you decide to co-author this book, having done the Chicken Soup for the Soul series? Well, my beloved wife, Crystal, and I have been to 80 countries. We've talked to 7 million people. And everywhere we go, we meet people that are wonderful, super talented. Like they got four times more talent than they'll ever use because they don't know what I'm going to say next. Uh, they're educated. They they may even have a little bit of money. But the difference between a little success and a vast success is one thing, the power of the ability to be a master at asking, which you as an attorney definitely know that's what you were trained as. Just, you know, in litigation, they use it articulately in debate and all that. So what we discovered is a little success versus a massive success. And where we're at with this book is what, what it says is, ask the bridge from your dreams, your destiny. We're saying everybody has a destiny and they got a great destiny. And to propel yourself toward the destiny, you need to ask yourself, ask others and ask God three parts to the book. And what it means is this, if you start, you've got to do self interrogation. And right now we've got 8 billion of us. It's not just you and I that are sequestered or, or locked down. There's some people that may not know the word. That's all a bit less big words. Is it, we got 8 billion of us. Every one of us for the first time in history have got to ask ourselves, who am I? What do I, we teach it as a triangle in the book, you know, who are you? And if you don't know, ask 10 of your friends, write out, Tony, write out what you see as my talent. And then number two, once you've got those 10 things, look at them, consolidate them and say, what do I love to do? And then number three, more importantly, what can I get paid substantially for now? Because what happens is people get sucked in and they say, well, you're a mathematician, you're an engineer, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. All, or let's do the worst case. You are a pilot and you're two thirds of the pilots are not going to be pilots anymore or worse. You ran a cruise ship. You were a captain. I don't know what you think, but I just got done off the phone saying the guy's not getting on any cruises. Right. Therefore, what's that captain going to do? Because there's no boats. You can't switch from Norwegian to some other boat ship line. Right. That's a great point. And I love, I love the three pronged, shaping of this. And I did listen to your book. I loved it. I thought it was really topical. I'm a big fan of a lot of the the people that you talk about in the book, Napoleon Hill, Russell Conwell. We were talking about that right before we started recording as well. Um, and I, I found it super interesting that you have this link between something as simple as just start asking for things and start asking yourself for things and then start asking sort of God, the universe, other people, all of these other sort of things outside of yourself. It's actually, it's funny. One of my mottos growing up was the worst they can say is no. And it tends to put you in a really good position because you tend to go for more opportunities just by asking the question, right? Precisely. I mean, in 1974, I was trying to be, I'd been in graduate school with Buckminster Fuller, arguably Einstein's best guy, 15 doctorates at Harvard, 40 books, inventions like geodesic domes and Dimaxian cars. And I loved Bucky and hung with him seven years and sort of taken a little of his mantle. But I tried to be him and bankrupted a company in New York City. I was building Wall Street Racquet Club, Botanical Gardens, aviaries. I'm upside down for $2 million. And I'm in Hicksville, Long Island, New York, sleeping in front of another guy's bedroom. And all of a sudden it came to me. I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life-changing difference. I get down to my three roommates and I say, I ask. I say, guys, 
Um, do you know anyone that's young, that's not a celebrity, not a doctor, not a lawyer, not a famous person that's making money as a speaker? I said, yeah, here's my ticket. Uh, this guy's older than you by a few years, but he's out in Hawpaw, Glen Island, New York, and, and talking to all the realtors. His name's Chip Collins. I went out and for three hours, he mesmerized me. I was just, I went, oh my gosh, this is like heaven and, and wonderful. And so <laughs> I went up to Chip at the end. I, I asked, I said, Chip, um, will you teach me how to do the business? He said, look, kid, the chance you're making is one in a thousand. You're not going to make it, but if you want to buy me lunch, I'll let you buy me lunch. And I'd ask, so I was glad to go out and, and buy him lunch. He told me exactly what to do if I'd stay out of his marketplace, five boroughs of New York, which you know, uh, for real estate, if you'll do life insurance, which was, he said, a bottomless pit. Well, the first year I did so many talks. I did a thousand talks a year. The first few years of appeal said, yeah, wow. that in a story, you had that story in a book. And so my first book was not this one, it was Ask, but Stand Up, Speak Out, and Win. And I tripled my income by doing a little book. We sold it for $10 to little audiences. Wow. I tell, and I said, this isn't an international bestseller. It's not even a New York Times bestseller. It's my bestseller. Everybody wanted my autograph. It was just, it's so mind-blowing. <laughs> I sold 20,000 copies by asking the audience to buy at um, $10 each. So I, I you know, I was making about 70 grand. Now I'm making 200 grand. And I just, and I was doing exactly what I wanted. And then I said, well, wait a second. If one book works, let's do a lot. Now I've done 309 bestsellers, sold a half billion books. Wow. And, and my goal is sell a billion books because I'm asking myself how to do it. And, and the point to every listener is the minute you ask a deep innermost question, it goes from conscious to subconscious. If, if that's language you're familiar with, you know, you get illumination, you get solution, you get, um, results you somebody will come up and say hey tony you want to do this this is what to do and that's exactly what we're doing now to build i think we're going to have the yogurt hit the fan here for a it's hitting it pretty bad but i'm going to create digital self-help action training courses that are going to change the world now we're busy after it so we've got one up at my website markvictoranson.com but i think we got to do a lot of them and i would include that in you got to do them because those of us who are educated the next number I give you is going to, you're going to argue with, but I think it's less than 15%. Now you can say, well, a lot of us went to college. They went to college. I don't think they got an education. <laughs> right, right, right. Listen, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think that's prevalent in a lot of fields is people go to college and then stop learning. Right. And I often tell people I, last year I listened to 90 audiobooks. This year, I'm halfway through the year. I'm pretty darn close to that number already, especially because I've had some guests like yourself who are authors. So I'll listen to the book beforehand out of respect for your time, of course, Thank but you. also also to be no problem. I, I, I appreciate you coming on, but also to be just more on the same level as what you were thinking about. And I think it's a wonderful thing when you can read someone's book, whether it's a Napoleon Hill, whether it's Chicken Soup for the Soul, whether it's this book, Ask, that you wrote with your wife, Crystal, these books really are an intimate way to connect with that individual, right? With the author, kind of learn from them. And then the more you read something, the more you start to kind of mind meld your own concept of it. Do you find that as well? I want to hitchhike in everything you said. Let's go back to, first of all, the 90. My recommendation to everybody out there is make it a goal to read two books a week or listen to two books a week or two giant podcasts with, with a great and inspiring thinker. You need to get the big level language, the $10 word is entrainment, right? I got with mesmerized by Bucky Fuller. I mean, you just right here. I, I was sophomoric. I'd gone from failing out of school the first quarter to getting straight A's. And if you ask me, I was one smart mother and, and you know, the term sophomoric. For those of you who don't know that term, it means I thought I knew every damn thing there was. And all of a sudden, I hear Bucky Fuller and he says, we're going to talk about synergetics. We're going to talk about cosmogony, cosmology, epis. He did 10 words. I thought, I'm sitting in the I thought. I what damn word. Now I'm, I, I can master and define all of them. And, and I thought, wow, this is so like way cool because what he said we can make the world work for 100% of humanity, but making the world work comes back to what you and I are talking about. You got to read the books. You got to listen to the books. You got to attend the podcast. You got to go to the class. And today it's electronic to expand this. All of us are born, my wife says four times, I think it's 10 times more talent, ability. Bucky would say, you're born with genius and you've got the genius. And, and right. what we're saying is, as a little kid, you ask who, what, why, where, when, all of Kipling's great questions, right? Right. And how. But the point is, is that you get shut down. The parents said, Tony, quit this, would you? 
I got to go to work. I got to make bread. I got to do whatever it is. And then you go to school and I say, just shut up and learn this, boy. If you just study these case studies in law, you could end up graduating here in Temple. Yeah, exactly. That, that is not what Dr. Conwell wanted. He wanted you to find the acres of diamonds inside and not go out on a pilgrimage. He comes back. I hope I'm not blowing the story for everybody, but I think it was he found the 479 carat, the world's biggest diamond, which I've seen it at uh, when I was in England, uh, the crown jewels. The crown jewel is there. I don't know if you've been there and seen it, but it's just humongous. I mean, it's as big as my laptop that I'm looking at. That's awesome. No, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it, but it's something Russell Conwell, obviously, because I went to Temple and now teach at Temple, is very near and dear to my heart as well. And you being a Russell expert, it's kind of a kismet, if you will, I guess, us ending up on this podcast together. But there's one other Conwell thing everyone needs to listen to. So Conwell's out doing this thing. Everyone's got acres of diamonds. And and it was at the time of, of one of my heroes, Abe Lincoln, who really did free the slaves and should keep his statues up as far as I'm concerned. I'm really clear about what I believe and should not get disintegrated. The, the point is, is Conwell's talking and, and the president's there, Abe Lincoln, and, and his secretary's with him. And his secretary goes, every day I pin these papers together. I, I, I think you know this story. You know it? I don't know this one. No, I know the Acres of Diamonds story that they're in your backyard. But she bleeds all over the papers of Abe Lincoln every day and says, this is like dumber than hell. There's got to be a way to do it. She invented the paperclip because of the diamonds. And and there's I saw the paperclip in Philadelphia. I don't know how far out of Philadelphia you live, but there there was a six story paperclip dedicated to her and the paperclip company of America, which she started. That's incredible. Before she died, it was worth like six million dollars. She asked herself, you know, and I've, I've never told this story on media ever before. You know, what is it? That, I don't like getting, you know, because, you know, when you put, I don't know if you ever pinned a piece of paper together, but you probably did as a little kid, a five-year-old or something. Sure. You know, you pin it and, and it hurts because you can't see when it's coming. So so what we're saying in this book, because everyone needs to become an entrepreneur and I define entrepreneur and I want everyone to write it down with my name on it. But an entrepreneur is a problem solver for a profit. Simple. Everyone, there's nobody right now. Eight billion of us have a problem. Fix just one little itty bitty problem and make a great profit for yourself, for your family, for the world. And then you employ a lot of people. And a person who makes a million employs 10,000, a person who makes a billion employs 10,000. So we need more millionaires and more billionaires. And people who don't like capitalism should leave America. That's how critical I am of it because capitalism is what made America. And the founding fathers were all great spiritual men and women, but primarily men back then. It was more chauvinistic, but, you know, and, and great capitalists, every one of them, whether it's Absolutely. George or Hamilton or whomever. Absolutely. So but there are, as you mentioned in your book, seven roadblocks to asking. And in the book, you go through each of these roadblocks and I'm going to list them. I have them written down here. You go through each of these roadblocks and you demystify them for people. Those roadblocks are unworthiness or insecurity, which is essentially our conditioning from our childhood, as you said, naivete, which is lack of awareness of what is possible, aka nowadays imposter syndrome for the younger people listening, doubt, (laughs) (laughs) doubt. So if you're unsure of how to ask, excuses, which stems from stubbornness or pride, fear, which is the underlying feeling that we'll lose something if we ask, Pattern paralysis, which comes from the habits that have been sort of grilled into us, preventing us from asking questions, and then disconnection, which is that we end up becoming numb to our inner truth. So let's go through those. You don't have to go through every single one of them if you don't want to, but how do you overcome sort of 30,000 foot view? I do recommend that everyone listening go and listen to the book. I think it's phenomenal or pick up a copy of the book. You can get it on Amazon. It's on Audible as well. That's how I listen to it. Excellent, excellent book. But go ahead and tell us how you came up with the seven roadblocks to begin with. I, I think you've done an excellent job of putting this into a really palatable and understandable format. But which of these do you think is the worst one? Or if you want to go through each of these and give us a 30,000 foot view, that'd be great as well. I'm honored to go through each of them. I've got to memorize, obviously. But let's just, you, you'd ask me about Greg Haig, and there's one that fits so critically. We started with a whole story of, of unworthiness from my friend, Bob Proctor, who I've owned two companies with. And, and Bob's now 87 and booming, and he's going to live to be 100. He's going to have a million people come to his party on his 100th birthday, so it's beyond exciting. So what happened is Bob Proctor was uh, comes out of the Navy in Canada, 
He is earning 4,000, owes 6,000, said, this is dysfunctional. Looks around the guys at the bar every night and says, no one's going anywhere here. I got to do something. Goes, finds a rich guy. And, say, and the guy says, what do you want? He said, like you, the guy's name is Ray Stanford. I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to be really rich. And he said, well, read this book, Think and Grow Rich, and then come back to me and tell me what you want. He says, well, I wrote it down on a little card. I want to make 25000 a month. Well, remember, you're making 6000 a year. Now, 25000 looks, you know, impossible, impossible. So he's, he makes that in the next three months by washing windows. Then he starts getting everybody else to wash windows. And then his self-worth starts going up. People say, well, how do you make all that money? And he starts really reading Think and Grow Rich so he could teach it. And then he's obviously evolved to one of the great teachers. And now this year he'll run a billion-dollar business at 87, which Amazing. is like so way cool, you know, to cut. Because the point being is everyone can come from nothing. Now, you asked about Greg Haig. Haig heard me tell that story. to all. He owns a company called 72-Hour Real Estate. Giant business guy. Uh, first of all, I'll do the story that you asked me about. Haig had two jets, a lot of motorcycles, mansions, traveled around the world and was unhappy. Goes out to his best friend at breakfast and says, hey, I'm, I'm not happy. So the guy asked such a subtle, simple question we all got asked. What would it take you to be happy? Greg said, damn, I'm telling you I'm not happy. And yet I don't have a definition of what happy is. This is like tinker toys for braids. I mean, stupid double ass squared, right? So he said, what is, okay, so he asked that guy, what's your definition? The guy said, to be passionately on purpose about something that's meaningful to you. Wow, passionately on purpose. And he said, you got to do that every day. And that's why my wife and I pray for an hour every day to be passionately on purpose about what's going to make a difference to us because my goal is to live to be 127 with options for renewal and she'll be with me, of course. So the, the, the point is, Greg said, I am now the happiest guy ever, and he is one of us. And I am, and I think you are. But then he said, I just heard Bob Proctor's story. And he says, I got my sense of unworthiness. I said, you had a sense of unworthiness? Now, here's a guy who went to law school, passed and built right. a big real estate empire, made his money, and goes back to law school at 60 in 2008 when the market crashes. The judge who's training the legal beavers, all of whom were 2030s, 20-something, said, look, Greg, you're an old guy. You're rich. You don't need to do this. And then he ends up graduating head of his, you know, the bar. I don't know if you knew that or not. But he said, when, when I'm a kid, I'm in eighth grade, Mark. And he said, I'm fat. His father's name, I don't know if it's in the article or not. Because I, I remember, he's my friend for 40 years, called Chubby. And he said, I want to be like my dad. So I was chubby then. Now he's a pencil. He's thin and fit and rigorous, swims an hour every day, is, you know, does everything. His full life out. The, the point is, he said, it was chubby. He wanted to take the girl that to the eighth grade prom next door, best friend, and was afraid to ask her. He said, every night I looked at that phone for three nights and it was big and it was ominous. And it was going to bite me. And, and my dad finally says, well, son, are you going to take her? Because he was dumb enough. He said at eighth grade, wait, how smart are you at 13 years old or 14? And I, I'm not besmirching my friend, just, you know, naivete. That fits this category. That's why I said of the seven roadblocks, all of us have a couple of them at different times. And they shuffle and change names and everything and change posture. So, and dimensionality. So he says, uh, did you call her? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I called her. She's going out with a football guy. He sees her right after prom and said, you know, I was always expecting you to take me and you never called me. The point is, he said, I didn't realize my low self-worth. But then he said, worse, I lied to my father who I love, trust, honored, and respected. This was the worst thing ever for my heart. That's why self-worth. And, and that's why I think asking yourself, do I have self-esteem? Do I have self-worth? Have I worked on my self-love? Have I turned up the volume to take good care of myself? So you do you. And then when you're training all those students, those young pre-law students, can you, if you've got good self-esteem and entrainment, you can increase their volume, increase their value, increase their life, expand their thinking. And they say, well, you got time to listen to 90 books a year. I'm a little lost. Do not have time. When I was going through becoming a doctor, I promise you, I kept reading and I was, I, I read everything of Bucky's all 40 books and tried to take ownership. But then we met all the, you know, Bucky was everything. So I, I'm going to the Aspen design conference and I'm meeting Nobel laureates. and I'm, I'm going, Oh my God, these guys, I got to read the book quick before I meet with them. And, <laughs> you know, the point is you decide to make your mind big enough to hold all of it. I, I am glad that you're agreeing with this because some people go, 
people that come up to me and say, you didn't write 309 books. I said, no, I did. You didn't. And <laughs> you haven't written one. You think it's hard. And it is hard to write every book and it's hard to sell it. But I, this is my right livelihood and I love doing it. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And that that's the uh, definition of happiness story from Greg Haig, which is in your book. You have a lot of stories like that from other individuals as well. Crystal also tell your wife, Crystal, also tells the story of her Home Depot helper, a woman that came up to her in the Home Depot parking lot that was a little bit destitute, didn't needed some money, needed some help. And just because she asked Crystal in, a, in an appropriate way, Crystal ended up helping her out. And it was a wonderful story as well. So thank you for sharing that. But much like Greg Haig's story and a lot of what you're talking about, one, I couldn't agree with you more. When I studied for the bar, quick, quick sidebar, pardon the pun. When I studied for the bar, I listened to rec- recordings of legal lectures while going to the gym to add to my study time and to add value. And that built in me this habit of listening to these audiobooks when I'm driving, when I'm working out, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm cooking dinner. You have time when you're doing something that your your other right side of your brain, the creative side of your brain is just disengaged from, right? You don't need that part of your brain to do the dishes, right? You don't need much of your brain to do the dishes if you're doing it right, right? But that's the opportunity, right? That's the time. You do have windows of time. Called scrap time. Scrap time. Every every one of us has at least a scrap hour or two a day. It's five minutes here, 10 minutes here. Back to when you and I could drive back and forth to work, which I don't think you're quite doing very much. I mean, you probably still have an office. But the point is, is that most of us aren't, this is my home office, of course, but right. the, the point is the average American drives 300 miles a year. And like we took our grandkids to Flagstaff, which doesn't mean anything, but it's a two hour drive. And we listen to audios and they would, we're talking about an eight year old and six year old. They listen to myself or my peers and they go, Grampy, can we talk about this or that? It's, they're, forgive me for saying it, but they are prodigies in process because mm-hmm. you need the input throughput determines the output and most people are getting i'm only going to read this i'm not i sure as hell ain't going to listen while i'm exercising look right. i'm already bored teach what do you what do you tell me you tell me get a headphone while i'm on the treadmill what do you come on tony tony what do you <laughs> well, you know the, the point is do you want to grow up and be a legal superstar and i you know my wife's husband, father was a superstar he won in supreme court for the american indians he had, wow. a jet, he had the Rolls Royce. He had the whole, when he was alive, he was a superstar. Yeah, it's incredible. One of the stories, just quick sidebar, because you mentioned your grandchildren or your grandchildren, right? Grandchildren. Grandchildren. So in the book, right at the beginning of the book, you talk about how, I believe it was one of your grandchildren was six and was asking if they could contribute to your book. And you said yes, because... The fact that they asked, you wanted to sort of promote that behavior, right? So tell us a little bit about that situation and what part of the book they contributed to. Absolutely. So two years ago, Crystal and I were on vacation at Christmas time, uh, chilling. We own a company in Hawaii called naturalpowerconcepts.com. And if you ever get a chance, watch our videos. We got the coolest pop-up windmills at naturalpowerconcepts.com. We got pulsating waves. We can really make the world work, which is what Bucky asked me to do. And I made a lot of money. So I've invested in alternative energy. It's clean, oh, it's great. And sustainable, good stuff. We're, we're on vacation. And, and for Christmas, our six-year-old at that time, Everett got a, uh, um, a gizmo watch. Now, you and I would call it Dick Tracy watch. Remember when Dick Tracy yep. used to talk into his phone in his uh, watch? But it's only got four people that he can call, his parents and his grandparents, Crystal and his parents. That's it. So my cell phone rings through, and it says, Everett. And I go, hi. He said, Grampy, are you alone? I said, Mimi, her name goes by Mimi. I said, Mimi and I are together. What is it, son? He says, can I talk to you? I said, where are you? He said, I'm in the closet alone. I said, okay. I thought he was in trouble. So I said, well, of course, you can talk to me anytime, 24 hours a day. You call me, I'll always answer for the rest of your life. I said, what is it, son? He says, you know those books you write? I said, yes. You mean which books? He said, the chicken soup books that I read of yours that I love so much? I said, yes, I did those. What, what is it that you want to know? He said, are you writing any more books? I said, Grampy's probably going to write books, make documentaries, make movies, make films. 
do courses for the rest of his life. That's what Rappy does for a living and loves it and, and can't retire because people are getting phenomenal results. He says, Grampy, can I ask a big question of you and Mimi? Is she there? I said, yeah, yeah, she's on the speakerphone with us. I said, can I write a book with you? And he's so innocent, so passionate. So and now let me just do a sidebar so you know how smart this kid is. This kid, we're here at, at by Mayo, right? All the doctors, I live up on top of a hill at Belmont, and 90% of the people up here are very, very high-paid specialists at Mayo Clinic. The world's top neurosurgeon here, our neighbor, our friend. I, I show my grandson who knows every body part at six years old and can say it. And, and he said, look, no kid has ever been allowed in laboratories. This is the most extraordinary. These guys are 10 years ahead of what you're going to see in the public or pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals or bodily changes. So I asked the doctor who's going to go on name because I, I don't want to get him in trouble. He said, I'll take you into the lab with the kid. But the kid's got to talk to all 20 doctors. He's six years old. And, and the doctors, he said, look, I saw this kid at, at an Easter party with Mark and I together, uh, and his father was with us, and, and he did every body part. And I just want to show you wow. guys who say you can't learn this. Hit it. And the kid just goes through every <laughs> body part. And the doctor said, I don't know that. So we're, we're in this experimental laboratory where they do operations on the, on the cranium where they literally, there's only pain on the outside of the brain. Once you pull out the brain, they can get rid of an aneurysm in that. I don't know if you know that. but So, so they do 3D experiments like you saw Iron Man movie. Iron Man had that 3D to play. That's how your brain looks to when this, these doctors at Mayo, this is the most advanced laboratory they say in the world, and I think it's true. I, I've never seen anything like it. And, and luckily, I couldn't have gotten in there without a six-year-old. Can you believe that? <laughs> And he said, look, let's just see if this kid can really operate. So remember, he's got great dexterity. At six years old, he doesn't know what he can't do. So the first time he messes up, second time he does it perfectly, an operation the theoretically on an aneurysm, not a real aneurysm. He says, all my doctors, they're here, the 20 superstars from literally around the world, from Africa, from India, from everywhere. You know, they take 100 times. This kid did it the second time. Wow. See, he's That's incredible. Problems. He's got, Back to your the seven roadblocks. He doesn't have those limiting beliefs because he knows Spanish, he knows English, he knows Chinese, and he knows sign language. Because Grampy said, look, I'm going to, yes, you're a great basketball player and you can do that, but you got to also do all these other fun things and you got to be able to interface with adults. And, and the kid has no qualms about, he, he would talk to you <laughs> and ask you legal questions. It would be great. <laughs> well, there is, as you mentioned in the book, a creative power to asking. And I think that's, when when children are asking questions, it's that right They're They're playing with their surroundings in the world and trying to understand how things link together. And we lose that as adults, as you've mentioned. So talk a little bit about that, how that leads to curiosity and what you call the creative power of asking. Well, first of all, when you ask it, it, it hits parts of your brain that nothing else does. We, we wrote everything we knew about it. We did all the Harvard, Stanford, Yale research that we could find. Then we interviewed the 26 superstar askers. So the minute you ask, it'll get answered. Now back to the, how does that work with a kid? We need to let kids ask exploratory questions, the Montessori method. Maria Montessori and Bucky were like that. That was one of his three best friends. And, and, you know, my kids, our kids went through Montessori school because I really believe in how big is your brain and, and, one of the daughters that went through is second in her class out of 38,000 at UCI. So this stuff, as far as I'm concerned, obviously my kids were my guinea pigs and experimental model. And, and uh, you know, I, I really support formal education. Today, you can get, other than a STEM education, which I'm all for, science, you know, all this stuff. We won't go into that. I think an informal education where you're really exploring the stuff that matters to you to keep expanding. Because... Back to your question, is it when you ask, the imagination goes to work and it goes, it's, the big, I got to be careful, the language for some people may be too esoteric, but it's teleological. So it goes, beep, 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 beep. Bucky used to say, you walk down the street and say, what kind of tree is that? And, and you forget about it. And three days later, the guy goes, that walnut tree is so good. It's got the best walnuts ever. And you're not, you asked it three days ago, but the answer comes. That's why the big guy, Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. And ask is the highest form of compassion. He, when the guy's just trying to stone this woman for being an adulterer, he says, whom of you has that who is not sin 
cast the first stone and oh, they all disappeared. They took to the, you know, <laughs> so asking wakes up the mind at every level. I mean, I mean, you're in the business of living in question, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously my legal career, I ask questions for a living for a different purpose. I ask questions on my podcast because I'm curious about individuals like yourself, the entrepreneurial mind and how we all kind of uniquely find our own path. And I think that you're right. That One of the common threads that I've seen in the 80 some odd episodes that we've done to this point on this podcast is that every single entrepreneur out there has a creative spark, right? And that creativity often comes from curiosity. It's like what you talked about earlier on this episode, that if you just solve one problem and you do it really, really well and effectively, you could be a millionaire or billionaire relatively easily, right? Easily in air quotes. I say easily in the context that that's about as simple as it is from a 30,000 foot view, but it takes that curiosity to spark that creativity. I see a lot of similarities between entrepreneurs and artists, for example, in terms of that, hey, I wonder if I could do this, and then they go and do it, and all of a sudden something magical happens, right? But, but let's even do your profession. We interviewed sure. a guy who I, I think you probably listened to the tape on Rex Paris. Rex Paris is the highest paid attorney purportedly in America, making over $100 million a year. Rex takes on the biggest, baddest cases, like 19 kids, as if I'm remembering the number, died of one of those energy drinks. He sues that company and wins and then does really good things. But what he really does is he does a couple of days a week, two or three days a week law. And then what he really loves to do is run the best city in America, which is Lancaster, California, which you've never heard of, right? But in Lancaster, there is no bad guys. Because when he became that, first, the whole country, the whole place is solar. Every house got to have solar. Every house got to be energy independent. The, the people there got to think he's been mayor 12 times in a row. That's how much they like. Wow. Like 100% employment. But if you're a bad guy, he comes up to you with somebody at the back door and the front door, the police. Anyhow, he walks up and he says, Tony, here's your, here's the deal. You know, um, you're not going to get you. Number one, you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life because I got the paperwork here. Uh, number two, you're going to go in training 12 hours a day and we're going to convert you and transform you into something great here in Lancaster so you can survive and not have to sell dope or drugs or be a badass or paint or scroll or all that thing. Or number three, you're going to leave. And if you ever show up, we've got video cameras on every street and we'll know exactly where you are. And then he brings in all the best businesses. So, you know, he's got the biggest solar tower. He's got the best wind and, and everybody's employed at a high rate because he cares. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to besmirch a lot of principal, a lot of uh, politicians. They don't care. They think they're here to take rather than support and give. Political stuff in the founding of America is how do I contribute? The beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created, and then number 28 created us in the image and likeness. Therefore, my read of that asking, what does that mean? Number one, we're all here to create, and it it does not say, go thou and retire. Thou art now 55, 65, or you have a million dollars. That's not the game. And then number two, you're here to contribute. And whether it's artwork or whether it's law or whether it's science or whether it's self-help action books or whatever it is, and there, there's a plethora of, of potential. And right now, those of us that know how to think, like the people listening to your show, the thousands, they need to ask, how do I pivot? How do I reorient myself? How do I reinvent myself? How do I, if Mark's correct, an entrepreneur just solves a problem and for a profit and makes a fortune, whoa, that seems pretty easy. And it, it, by the way, it's a lot of hard work. I don't want yeah. to, <laughs> everyone says, well, books must just fall into your brain. No, a yeah. ton of hard work, right. <laughs> but I, the, the point is I love doing it and I'm doing it with people that I love. I mean, half my books are self-authored, single authored and half are co-authored, but it, it you know, it doesn't matter. My co-authors are all spectacular, stellar, fun people to be with. And if you're going to have a masterful life, why wouldn't you want to work with people that you want to work with, create stuff you want to create? And in and, and Rex Paris's thing, finish making a whole lot of money, so more than you and your kids could ever spend. And then go say, hey, wait a second. What if I could create a city here? And at a city, I'll just do one more thing because I'm pretty familiar with Rex as a friend, a friend, friend, friend. And he goes to China and brings back BYD to do an electronic battery company. And he's got the biggest, baddest, if I'm going to do it in a good way, buses in the world. 
that, that are energy efficient and wow. every city's buying them because they're pollution free. I mean, you and I have been behind buses that are diesel and you go, oh, <laughs> But he has a guts. He has a guts, the time, and a desire. All of us have the desire. If you read our book, ask it'll wake up all the dimensionality that each of us is entitled to. Now, in addition to that, one of the parts of your book also talks about asking to enhance your personal relationships, more specifically to enhance your personal relationships with your loved ones and and the people who are close to you. First of all, I found I found that really empowering. And very helpful in the context that it gets you to think about, yeah, if I'm making a lot of statements to my spouse or to my kids or to my friend, even my friends and family, other family members that I care about, that's not really compassionate. And you pointed that out earlier in this episode as well. So let's talk about asking questions with genuine interest and how that leads to to stronger bonds. How did you come up with that? Was that something that happened primarily in yours and Crystal's life, or did you witness it in other individuals' life? How did you come up with that concept? First of all, I want to back it up just a hair. And I, I went through a pretty painful divorce. So um, I wrote down what I thought was impossible. Remember, I believe as we teach in the book, you got to figure out what you want. That's ask yourself. It has got to be put in writing. And I wrote down 267 things I would like in the ideals of, of my beloved characters, values, characteristics, virtues. We both had to be monogamous. We both had to have our own business. We had to have exactly the same values. When I wrote it, I said, she has to want to travel with me because I was traveling a quarter million miles a year, right? I travel 7 million miles around the world. And um, I, thinking that maybe that's not possible to do. But remember, the minute you write it down, the minute you ask yourself, it starts to unfold in the universe. It's called the law of attraction, right? Birds of a feather flock together. She ends up her mother sends her to a seminar, which I didn't know her mother at all. I said, and you are going to get to your Mark Victor Hansen. She gets to the seminar. I see her and plucritudinous just emanated out of every pore of her being. It was just, oh, I said, is, do you know anything about her? One guy said he knew her. And I said, yeah, I said, she got divorced a while ago and you're divorced. So that night we're in the VIP room and I'm thundered with people, right? But she's over away and a woman we later meet from El Salvador wiped out a glass of red wine all over her white pants. Heroically, I run over, right? And I say, I know where the club soda is. We could save your pants if, if you don't mind my taking you out here. Well, long story short, I say, are you hungry? It's like 9.30 at night on a Saturday night. I said, I can't stay here because there's a thousand people that want to talk to me for just two minutes. I wrote a whole book on, on you have a book in you because I think I really know how to write a book. And that was an author 101 seminar. We get to this restaurant and it's a Hollywood's top restaurant throngs of people and they go, oh my gosh, a hundred dollar bill isn't going to get me in. So we walk up and I live in the question. Remember, I write the book, ask. So I believe this stuff. So the guy looks at my wife, who's, if you haven't seen her, ladies and gentlemen, look at her picture. She's been a top model, a movie star, spectacularly beautiful, but brighter than she is beautiful. I mean, she is a bright, wise, brilliant woman. And I'm just deeply, profoundly thankful because she was 267 out of 267. I never told her until way after we were married. Anyhow, this guy says, okay, I give up. Who is she? I couldn't resist. I said, you don't recognize her? The guy's done for now. You can see <laughs> his mind going through every People magazine, Vogue, Installing. <laughs> oh, man, she's a movie star, and I should be smarter than this. He says, okay, I give up. Who is she? I said, she's a, no, we're both Danish. I said, she's a queen of Denmark. He says, no, she's not. And he said, oh, my God, she is. Who are you? I said, who travels with the queen? He said, oh, my God, you're the king. And we were goofing, but that fast, we had the best table in the restaurant. So, ladies and gentlemen, this relationship thing is all about asking questions. And all of what you were saying, you know, one of my big marketplaces is psychiatrists historically, because they all read the chicken soup stories. And what they found out, reading a story gets a kid that won't talk to you to talk to you. Asking a question won't. But Look, I got a lot of psychotic shrink friends, and I say, look, you're a shrink, I'm a stretch. But the point is, is, is questions stretch you, they illuminate you, they empower you, they expand you, and we all need to ask questions like, you know, could I find my ideal relationship? How, and, and write out, you know, like my wife is a master at that for our kids, is what is it would be perfect and idyllic for my kids to have happened in their life if they're doing something sideways? And then we write it up, and then 
it starts to manifest almost immediately. It's it, Russell Conwell's whole acres of diamonds. The acres are inside. You just think they're outside. Right. That's a great point. And, and you talked about the ideal relationships, but another part of the book that you wrote with Crystal talks about asking to achieve your ideal health. And now we're talking about asking yourself, right? So let's talk about that. How can you shape your ask or your question in a positive light rather than a negative way so that you can achieve your ideal self and your ideal health? Well, first of all, let's do the 100,000 foot view and say today, ladies and gentlemen listening, it is more important that you are fit. Now, Crystal wrote a book called Skinny Life, which is gone off the market because we're rewriting it and doing it as a whole course. And it's how to be fit, healthy, whole and complete. But the, the bottom line here is you've got to have a strong immune system. This isn't maybe a choice anymore because half of Americans, 52% have active diabetes too. This is curable with really good nutrition and really good exercise. And that so it has to be metrics. What do you do? And for me, because, you know, I, it's easy to become obese. It's easy to eat too much, drink too much, sleep too little. It's easy to be scared. And if you're not asking yourself questions of how am I getting better, then you're automatically spiraling, getting worse. And, you're, and a lot of people listening to it are going, oh, this guy's Pollyanna. She's too simplistic. But I'm 72. I can get in the floor and do 100 push-ups now, not because I'm that strong, but I do push-ups three days a week. I do muscle training because you got to do resistance training if you're going to have strong bones. And you can't just walk. I used to think you could walk or run. You got to do, I don't care if you do band training and, and to be motivated, you know, you need to listen to a podcast or you can watch a video with, I don't care if you watch Terry Crews or Arnold or Sly, whoever gets you going. And there's more than ever before, but you've got to be fit. You've got to be taking your nutraceuticals because our food is not as good unless you're growing your own food and you're a farmer and you know it's all organic and that. And I take 78 herbs and vitamins a day. So I'm really, wow. you can look at my skin and it goes back instantly. Most 78 year olds, you go like that, their skin sits up and you go, whoops, that isn't, I'm saying there's a lot of simple metrics. Do you feel great and want to beat in your chest and get into the day when you wake up like I do? I wake up about five or 30 or five every morning and I'm, I'm good and strong all day long. Not that I couldn't take a nap occasionally, but rarely, maybe once a week or something. The point is, and you need to sleep and you need to know how, and my wife's done all the audio tapes on, she's a clinical hypnotherapist and one of her many talents and teach people how to go to sleep, but you need to really sleep deep, right? And, and come out profoundly energetic. So you, and, and, you know, there's guys like Ray Kurzweil, who's arguably the smartest guy and he and I did a program, but he says, if you live long enough, you can live to be a hundred. So you got to have your nutrition, right? Your exercise, right? If you hurt a body part, you know, today I got stem cells shot into my knees and they regenerated my knees. I was just on the phone with a guy down in, in Mexico who was one of my, the first real estate I bought on Long Island. I bought with him. Uh, he and I, he's older than I am by about 10 years, but he just had stem cells. And he said, I didn't understand that you got to do them when you're at your peak, right? So if you need to regenerate something, he did them when he was weak and he'd broken his back. And, and he, I said, look, they're pulling out weak cells. You got to pull out the stem cells, get rid of the 95% that are dented, broken, keep the 5%, but you've got to come in at your highest and best. He just had his knees done yesterday. And he said, oh my God, at 78 years old, I feel like a new man. I said, that's the point, Steve. More so on the asking though. So you did talk about a lot of the things that you have to do physically, and I appreciate that. Do you, first of all, do you use an Ayurvedic regimen? Do you use traditional Chinese medicine? I know you talked a little bit about 78 herbs that you take on a daily basis. What, what's your preferred method? Vitamins and herbs. I lived in India for a year. So we, we understand all that stuff. And there's a lot of it that's really good. But you got to do your own homework. And, and, you know, if somebody comes through one of our courses, we'll gladly teach anything. And I, I'm glad to share with you. I mean, there's, but the point is, if your immune system is strong, you're not going to get COVID. This thing about, well, you're over 70, so you're at risk. That's bull. Here's what happens. If you're 70 and have pre-existing conditions, a heart attack, a stroke, and cancer, and you haven't taken care of yourself, and you haven't prophylactically done some stuff to prevent that, which today hydrochloric clean can do that. Number two is it, is it um, I, was, I got too many things, ideas hitting my head at the same time. You, you've got to be totally, oh, so it, it, it's the biological. But the third one is what is your attitude? Like 
like we did the, the book, uh, Chicken Soup for the Surviving Soul, 101 Ways to Beat Cancer. And the first one is um, Dr. Norman Cousin, Saturday Review Magazine, Bucky's best friend. And I met Norman a bunch of times, but uh, Dr. Norman Cousins is, is Norman said, you got to laugh every day. Every one of us has got to laugh to get the interrupters up. And some of us forget, you said, you don't know how bad it is out there. And you don't know this stuff. And, I come in, and, and you can't go being a victim. You really got to be a victor and tell all yourselves, every atom of your being, you're going to be healthy, whole, complete, and rigorously victorious and stay healthy. Now, I'm not recommending that you go into a disease pool and get the disease. I'm recommending you do the wisdom of the ages, and then you really take rigorously good care of yourself by asking, what is, what is it that would make me to my ideal health where, where I had, I mean, you know, I've done, this is my fifth podcast today. And it's a Friday and we've had a busy week. And I, I, unless you tell me otherwise, I think my energy is as good as it can get. So it's as good as I can tell for sure. And, and we really appreciate you uh, iron manning it today. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I listen, I'm thankful. I, 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 I want more for most people listening that they believe that they can because most people under evaluate themselves. Like I wrote a book called <clears throat> the future diary with, you know, it's not, we're, I don't know if it's still in print, but, it was one of my first books, but you know, it says, what would you like if your life was ideal at 128 levels? So back to what you said is what are the metrics that you're going to do? And, and the simple metrics is how do you think and how do you feel? And if you're, you and then you live in the assumption of the wish fulfilled. So your feeling nature is, I, I feel that, you know, in my case, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to do a hundred podcasts before December 25th. We're going to talk to a hundred million people, which today the first cast we were do podcast radio show, we were on 20 million people, you know, and I'm going to sell a million books. And people said, well, you can't do that in this market. And when our publisher called and said, you're coming out during the height of this thing, you want to push back the book? I said, no, no, no. I take adversity and see the opportunity in it. And I'm asking everybody to do that. You know, and if you haven't studied my stuff, study my stuff. There's a lot of it for free online. A lot of it, you can go to my website and get markbeckhanson.com or you can go to crystaldwyerhanson.com. The stuff exists. And, and I'll lead you to a lot of the other stuff that you may not even know because, you know, I've spent my full life um, learning all this stuff, reading, as you can see, I got a lot of my books right behind me, but, you know, I've read or touched at least 50,000 books. So I sort of have a grasp. I've been in countless seminars and loved every one of them. I, I don't want to, we have more potential today, but what I'm asking, what I'm trying to do with you, Tony, is say, look, ladies and gentlemen, I want to be the gadfly. I want to be the spark. I want to, Set your life on a new course where you become the masterpiece you are meant to be because Ephesians says you're God's greatest masterpiece. Now, if that's true, have you sculpted yourself to be that? Right. That's great. And you can start by asking yourself to take one little step in the right direction, right? Just right. control the controllables and ask yourself, do I want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix today? Which is totally cool if that's what you want to do. But don't complain the next day that you're not getting the six pack abs or you're not in the best health of your life. Right. Your Everyone's right. Exactly. Everyone's always looking for that get rich quick scheme. And they always say, oh, that guy's just lucky or that girl's just lucky. They just you know, they have some innate genetic. No, everyone is capable. You just have to put in the work and it starts by asking yourself to do it. So two parts to what you just said. And thank you very much for that. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, go to Amazon and get a copy of Ask. But then number two is go to, this is free, askthebookclub.com. Just go to askthebookclub.com. Crystal and I are going to do a book club. We invite you in it for free. We want to help you for free become a master asker. It's our contribution back to society. And then the subset is interesting thing. We were on one guy's podcast. I don't know if you've been with Scott Carson twice. And Scott said, look, ladies and gentlemen, if you're depressed, despondent, disconsolate, or suicidal, and the biggest business now is shrinks or have so many patients, they're booking them seven months out, which is tragic. So he said, look, buy 10 of Mark and Crystal's book, Ask the Bridge from Dreams and Destiny, and give them away. If you've never given away a book, it's one of the nice things. But then the other subset is partner up with that person. And, and if you and I, Tony, are, are uh, I give you a copy of the book, and I start asking you these self-revealing questions, and I ask you the question, what do you need for others? until you can build what's called a mastermind relationship where two come together, they get the power of 11. And I ask you, 
have you worked on God and have you done the question 400 times? And you say, well, what is the question? God, what's your destiny for me? God, what's your destiny for me? God, what's your destiny for me? 400 times. In the middle of the night, you're going to wake up and you're going to tell your wife, I'm sorry, dude, I got to wake you up, but I got to write this down because Mark said, I got to write it down because I'll forget it in the morning, which unfortunately is the case. So everyone's got to write down what the solution is because God's going to give it to you, but he has got a different clock than you do. His clock works in strange times or have your cell phone there so you can dictate whatever's coming through, but do it fully, completely, comprehensively. So, because when you get back, you're going to go, oh my God. I know I had the answer last night. And you, so this week, we just one day, we got 121 letters from people that bought it and read it and had their lives changed. My wife said, oh, yeah, I think that we better look at these. So she started reading it and she got so sucked in four hours later, she's still reading it. And the transformation, you know, I, I teach transformation is you can't look at caterpillar and pick, but pick, predict, predict butterfly. You and I can't predict the greatness inside us. And, and the example we use, of course, is, is two greatest orchestrators in America, as far as I'm concerned, are Quincy Jones, made a little guy named Michael Jackson, and David Foster is our friend. We're all Horatio Alger Award winners, but these guys couldn't make it through high school. And, and normal teachers would say, oh, you're an ass, you're dumb, you're not very smart. No, 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 they had a great talent. But how do you predict that a guy like David Foster, the first person at 13 that he orchestrates is named Barbara Streisand? Then he does all of Whitney Houston. Then all of Celine Dion. I get goosebumps because I love, and he's a close friend. But because he wasn't good at academics, doesn't mean that he had a talent. I'm saying, every one of you, listen close, just like Acres of Diamonds. Dr. Conwell was telling the truth, and, and you ought to read it. It's a mythic book, just like our book starts with a parable, which I've never done a book. because Every book I do is unique, transformational and inevitable that if you read it, it's going to transform your life. That's my dream prayer and, and the results we're obviously getting. But what I'm saying is, how would you, we, we, the music of a Whitney Houston, which unfortunately she's not alive, but, or Celine Dion, who is alive, just magnificent. David is the hit man, just doing great. And Quincy's getting a little mature. So he's having some health challenges because he didn't do the metrics that I'm asking about. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate you being on the show and taking time to be with us today to talk about your book. Uh, I highly recommend that people go out and check out the book I did myself and really enjoyed it. Uh, he's holding it up for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Go ahead and we'll put a link down on the bottom in our page to the book so that people can go and get access to it. And that'll be in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. Great being Look forward to meeting you live someday when this is over. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Mark. Have a good Thank one. You, Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.